What's up, my fellow firefighters and dedicated listeners of the Keep the Promise podcast? I have an extremely exciting announcement that I could not wait to share with you, so I hope you're ready. Starting today, for a limited time only, I'm offering you an incredible opportunity to join our exclusive Patreon community with a one-week free trial. That's right, an entire week to experience the amazing benefits resources, and connections that await you inside of our firefighter family. But this offer is more than just a trial. It's an invitation to step into a world where support, growth, and inspiration thrive. It's a chance to embrace a community that understands your dedication, your struggles, and the profound impact that you strive to make every single day. Imagine a place where you're surrounded by like-minded individuals who share your passion for service, who understand the demands and joys of the fire service, and also who stand shoulder to shoulder with you as you keep the promise that you made to your community. It's not about the benefits that you'll receive either. It's about the connections that you're going to forge, the friendships that you're going to nurture, and the support that you'll find when the weight of the world feels heavy on your shoulders. Look, as firefighters, we're not just bound by a profession. We're united by a deeper purpose, a calling to protect, to save lives, and to make a difference. And together, we can achieve so much more. During this one-week free trial, you'll have access to exclusive bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes insights, and a community that will rally around you, providing you encouragement, advice, and all the motivation that you need to become the best version of yourself, both on and off the job. So, my fellow firefighter, I invite you to take that leap, to join us in this extraordinary journey. Let us be the foundation that supports you, empowers you, and helps you overcome any obstacles that come your way. Head over to our Patreon page today at joinkeepthepromise.com. Again, joinkeepthepromise.com and claim your one-week free trial. Do not miss out on this opportunity to experience the strength of our community, the wisdom of our guests, and most importantly, the inspiration that awaits you. Together, we will keep the promise we made to our community, to ourselves, and to each other. I'll see you on the other side, my friend. We see these moments of human heartbreak all day long, time after time. And I think to survive that, we turn off the mechanism that also lets us see all the tiny little beautiful moments on calls all day long because they exist on a lot of calls. We're just kind of numb to them because whatever that switch is, we've turned it off in order not to completely flame out. Welcome to the Keep the Promise podcast, where we help build resilient and well-rounded firefighters. I was looking for a witty intro, but I have none because I'm not that creative. Today, I have the honor, the distinct pleasure of sitting down with a badass chick, to say the least. She's been in the fire service for close to 20 years, and in addition to doing the job she has pioneered outreach that deals with cancer research with post-traumatic stress with all the things that we within the keep the promise community advocate for for being that resilient well-rounded firefighter and a cool chick to boot so i am super happy to have along the wonderful the awesome the badass stephanie white steph thank you so much for joining me today how are you I was really expecting to say a different name other than mine after that intro. I'm wondering who this person is you just introduced. So thank you. <laughs> you're looking around. You're like, who? maybe maybe a quarter of it is true. I cause stress. You could put that part in there. I mean, I think most of us do that to each other, though. 
That's true. Captains deserve what they get. They're making extra money to deal with us, right? Let me write that down so I can tell my captain, but he's going to have a witty comeback. Yeah. If, if you wanted adult, adulter behavior, you would have gone into the corporate world. <laughs> well, good morning to you, too. Thank you for that uh, glowing, glowing description. Yeah, now you just got to live up to it, right? At least for the next half half hour to 40 minutes, right? <laughs> Hey, listen, let's get started. Let's just rewind it back to your beginnings in the fire service. What kind of just moved you to become a firefighter? Oh, that's actually a long story, which is which is fine because firemen are known for their long stories. Um, I was looking at attending college overseas for a little bit. I got to travel every year of high school to a different third world country, and I was looking at doing university in Romania. And uh, a buddy of mine, I was looking at maybe the medical field or political science, and a buddy of mine says, I'm an, I'm an EMT. And I said, what the hell is an EMT? So he took me to his volunteer house, got me voted in instantly, and that very night, the career staff looked at me and said, this kid so far is normal. Let's, let's get to her before, uh, before her mind gets destroyed. So they dragged me into their office and sat me down and said, why are you here? I said, well something, something medical field. And they said, all right. So they put me right into EMTB school and then put me right into to paramedic school. And um, that's, that's really the, the bland start of it all. <laughs> and then I, I really fell in love with it once I got into medic school and got to start running those calls and being just the first person to that chaos and being able to have an effect on that chaos. So then got hired after, out of medic school. Didn't think I was going to like fire whatsoever. In fact, told everybody, listen, I just, I have to do fire in order to be a medic. And I remember that first burn that we did, just all geared up being in that building. And back then, they really let it get super, super hot. And just sitting there watching this and then having to put it out and just all the combination of everything, watching the fire grow, spread behavior, the physicality of getting the hose line up there, all of it together was just, for lack of a better word, so much fun. Like it was the most fun I had ever had between the focus, the adrenaline, all of it. So then fell in love with the fire side of it and uh, it all, all came together nicely, those two skills. I love it. I love it. It is. There's something so almost intoxicating when you actually take that step back and you, you look at how you're there, why you're there. Like, whoa, I have my gear on. There's this fire growing, this like powerful force of nature. And you're there to alter it or just watch it. It's just, it is incredible. I feel that. I feel that. So you've been, yeah, you've been doing this for, for quite a while and we'll definitely get into um some of the changes and some of the Growing. I like how you're politely trying to not say, you've gotten old, so that, that's nice. Listen, doing listen, that a listen. while versus, listen, you've gotten older. I mean, I can, I can say that, but we're not that far apart in age, so I'd be kind of shooting myself on the foot as well. I'm just one, I appreciate that. I'm just jealous that you got started so much sooner than I did, because I'm like, oh my gosh, you can retire so soon, and here I am looking at another half a career. Like in totally going on a tangent here. Sometimes I get like I look at the guys that I went through the academy with that started at eighteen. I'm like, God, so jealous, so jealous. 
but be jealous, but then realize that when you come into the firehouse at the age of 19, when you're still growing, developing your social skills, realize that for the rest of your life as an adult, you are going to have the social skills of a fireman. So that doesn't always <laughs> work out in, in my favor uh, and other social circumstances where I'm asked or supposed to be acting like a normal human being, quote unquote, and you're, you're standing there and it's, it's just awkward. There, you have nothing in common with those people and you can't even mask an attempt to have a normal conversation because all your skills are fireman skills. Yeah. So that, that is one thing that is a downside. It's definitely difficult. I remember years ago, I was involved with a crew that was not even a crew. Like they were all just highly educated teachers and professors and everything. And trying to relate to them in social events was the hardest thing ever. Because they're talking about like, oh, did you hear what Timmy did in class the other day? Or did you see, did you see the lesson plan I had set up? I'm like, um, I had some dude drip his brains on my hands a couple of hours ago. So what's up? Well, you know, you try not to say it's, that because you're just going to ruin the whole conversation. So you're like, oh, yeah, look, I had a good time. There were, there were lights and sirens. Yeah, it was cool. Right? <laughs> and it, it becomes especially hard for both volunteer and career. Volunteer, you still have to do, um, if you're in a really rural area, you still have to do your own form of union work of, of lobbying for resources. Or if you're career and you're doing union work, guess what? You then have to talk to people who aren't involved in the fire service and politicians. And it's... It's a skill. It is. It it's definitely hard. is. Normal human conversations. Anyway, we got off track. And here we are recording it. And, and here we are. Well, at least we haven't brought up OnlyFans or Ducks or any of the other weird things that, that we normally end up talking about. Ma'am, this podcast is going to have the highest ratings out of all of them. So thank you for that. <laughs> Our conversations can, can go pretty far off the rails. So we're going to try to keep it yeah, on track that's, today. So trying to get back on these on these rails. You've been in for for a bit, and you have seen, I guarantee you, some change, some growth, some lack thereof. Is there like a ranked list of like when you sit back and you look at your career, you're like, wow, these are like three or four of the things that I saw that have changed the most? Or is there just one that sort of takes the cake? Like, tell me how from your perspective, from that firefighter perspective and from that female firefighter perspective, what sort of changes you've seen in two decades worth of firefighting? Mm. So the first one I'm going to mention, and everything I would say I've seen is a pendulum, right? So we start off somewhere that isn't great. And we do this as human beings, as a society, as a country. You start off on one side, too extreme, and then we take the pendulum all the way to the other side of the extreme. And we excel at that in the fire service. And one of the big things that I think nationally we're going to start struggling with, if you're not already struggling with it, is that uh, we always made, you know, everybody's made the kinder, gentler fire department joke. It has finally come home to roost, I think, in that when I came in and if I screwed up, I'm going to try to keep the language sound. If I screwed up on scene, I mean, just the captain didn't even have to say anything to you. He just glared at you and then the crew took care of yelling at you. Um, and then you locked yourself away in the shed and you, you learned that skill and you honed that skill and you perfected that skill. Not only did you get that mixture of disappointment from your crew and from your captain, you got a sense of 
self-shame of embarrassment of I'm never going to make this mistake again. This was a horrible moment in my life. And then you didn't make that mistake again because you were certain, I hate to use the word triggered, but so many different emotions were, were pulled out of you, were triggered by the reactions of the people around you. And we really have done away with that. And I think, I don't think, I know what I'm seeing manifested now is people who are missing that drive to never, ever fucking make that mistake again. And that's really, really not good. Uh, we are a one-shot career in terms of, uh, I hate to, again, use this term, life or death. We're in life or death situations. I know that sounds dramatic, but we are, for fuck's sake. You know, a house is on fire. A child is not breathing. You get, like Eminem said, one shot to go do it. And if we have these people who, because our pendulum has swung so far the kinder, gentler way from what it used to be, who don't have that sense of shame of performing poorly on their end and letting their crew down, that's uh that's one of the big ones that I'm seeing seeing recently. It's just how that's come home to roost and how we're really raising a different type of fireman than when you and I, I think, came on. Because when we came on, you saw guys who were, they were staying 40 years. I mean, this was their life and they were completely devoted to it. They, I mean, they, they were eating, breathing, sleeping, smoke. That was it. And they were so good at their craft. And now those guys are retiring. And so you have the people who are, you know, one step down in passion, maybe, or maybe the same, same amount and they're coming into leadership but what's going to happen in the next five to seven years when that kindler gentler are the senior guys I'm really curious to see how do we bring that pendulum back to center so this is a frequent rant of mine um i think that really came from a lot of eeo discrimination harassment kickback and so i think new officers were were terrified to yell at people or to you can't harass someone by having an argument with them and putting them on the boo-boo box for a month right you can't do that that's retaliation you can however if there is some sort of learning issue consistent screw-up issue have a game plan of some sort of tiered earn your right to the nozzle back uh, I, I don't think that's discrimination in any way, but I think everybody was taught that you can't do things like that anymore because we teach a very corporate harassment EEO uh, model because we have to be able to, if something happens, higher-ups have to be able to go to the feds and say, no, 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 <laughs> target solutions right here. They did it. They did their one, two hours of corporate training. Well, none of that has any bearing in a realistic way on what we do. You know, we're living with people for 24 hours. And so I think going in, changing that level of fear for officers, of fearing that they can't control or have the influence over their crew that they need to have in order to save lives, I think is step one. Because we, we can't be held to this corporate standard of, listen, if Janie Sue doesn't get her spreadsheets, you know, to Billy Bob in time, 
I don't think many lives are going to be lost over that. And that's it's something that I know in our area we struggle with. I don't know how the rest of the nation is, obviously. You and I are in departments that aren't too far away from each other, so we, we really see similar environments. Curious what the Midwest looks like and what they're dealing with. But in our area, that's got to change first. Got to get rid of that corporate. We're, we're not a corporation. We're in the business of saving lives. So getting rid of that attitude first, well, I think, help with training the new guys and gals. Yeah, and I think seeing that attitude from the officers, that that buy-in, coming in as a new person, you're like, okay, this is what my boss, this is what my supervisor expects of me. And I think most of us come in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed wanting to fit in. So seeing that attitude of all-in kind of changes your own to want to be all-in and hopefully create that process that you said of like, oh my God, I screwed up. I'm going to lock myself in the shed and practice these skills till I don't screw them up again. Versus... Well, you're probing... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, we, we've seen some folks who... They screw up and, you know, we're all probies at one point. We're all new. We all still make mistakes. And they're just like, okay, like whatever. I This is my excuse versus taking that step back and being like, ooh, did I screw up? And how can I fix that? Your probie year is your safety year. That is your year to screw up. I remember I was doing a, um, a pub ed with kids. And they were special need need kids. So I, I had to kind of figure out really quickly how to make the normal things that we do smaller. So I didn't want to walk them all around the engine, stuff like that. I wanted to give them a few tangible items to hold and stuff like that. So I took the nozzle off the front bumper line and I gave it to a couple of kids to hold. And we talked about that. And then I put it back on the front bumper of the rig. When we get a call... Right after it, so the kids kids get pulled to the side, going down the road. You see that nozzle oh, no. flying, <laughs> and I remember Kevin called me into the office after that, and I wasn't even probing anymore. I think this was like year two, and he just looked at me and he said, "Do I have to say anything?" And just the weight of that look was enough that. No matter what I am doing, nozzles get instantly put back on the hose line. No matter what, stuff gets instantly. Nothing with me rests on the front bumper anymore because of one look many, many years ago. And it, uh, we've lost that art of just, I don't want to harp on it too long, but we've lost the art of putting the weight on our probies. They're not going to break. And if they do, well, then maybe they learn that this isn't a career for them, but Put that weight on the probies. That's what, that's what that year is for. I don't expect anything of you. I expect to watch and guide you and I'll do the work and you'll do the work and you'll do more work and then we'll, hopefully you'll do all the work. I'm kidding, I'll help. But bring yeah. back that attitude. Yeah, I, I, I love that, that attitude and that mindset. And I think some of our listeners are going to be shocked because I think they, right or wrong, they hear... A woman in the fire service and they expect that she's going to be preaching you know the kinder the gentler so having you come in and speak to that you get that look you screwed up don't screw up again and if you break it's not for you that's that's a breath of fresh air because like i said we're gonna we're gonna delve more into into the life and challenges of stephanie as as a female firefighter 
and being uh, Stephanie is, is a challenge on its own. <laughs> well, and to, to speak to that, I think people say all the time, would you say this to your wife, your daughter, your sister, whatever? Well, growing up with your sister, did she get in trouble and did your parents give her that look or give her a stern warning or whatever? I mean, come on. There, there's a difference between harassment and uh, life and death training. So. So since we're on that topic, let's let's dive a little bit deeper into it. You've been around for a while. You've seen an evolution of the fire service. We know early 2000s things were a little bit different. Like we did, we, we as a fire service did things a little bit less Just refined like than we do now. Have you dealt with any sort of gender-based discrimination or harassment or beyond that, what sort of unseen challenges have you experienced? It's a really loaded question. Um, yes, definitely. Definitely had some challenges that were gender-based. And um, I know that because it was blatantly said, you know, I don't want you around, you're a woman. Wow. I think, <laughs> I think um, two things. I think it still exists in many, many departments. I think we have refined the art of hiding it and doing it in different ways. It's definitely not as above ground as it used to be. Like nobody's getting glass put in their boots, at least not in in our area, the Metro DC area. Hopefully that we know of. Nothing that blatant I think is happening in our part of the world anymore. I think it's in different ways now. Um, and people have refined the art of making it a little more underground. That being said, Every time I came up against a situation, and unfortunately there have been a lot of them, um, and some have been incredibly, <laughs> incredibly blatant, what fixed the problem was not me. It was never me, never my tenacity. That actually only made <laughs> situations worse. The catalyst was always the guys around me. And the guys around me looking at whoever the aggressor was and saying, and even if it was an officer saying, no, this isn't acceptable. This is, this is my firehouse, my crew. I'm not putting up with this. And that was always what made or, or broke situations, was having guys see it, acknowledge it, you know, sit with it for a second and, and realize, hey, even though this guy's my buddy, this isn't right. And, and just stepping in and blatantly saying, ah, oh, knock it off. We're done with this. We're not doing this. And I think... I've seen that start to happen a little less amazingly enough in the fire service because that was always, and that's heartbreaking because that was, I mean, that's what I'm going to remember from my career, not necessarily those harassers, but those guys who stepped in and were amazing and got me through a situation. Um, and now I think as the kitchen table is becoming a little bit of a lost art form, right? You walk into a kitchen, everybody's eating something different or everybody's on their phone and you still have those crazy tight ships. Don't get me wrong. But I think more places are becoming less and less and less that. And I think as a result, people aren't stepping up for each other the way they once would have. And it might be that because we're not paying attention to each other as much. We're missing 
the little cues for those things. Or maybe we're just operating as more of a team, less of a quote-unquote family. Not sure what it is, but seeing less of that behavior, which is a little sad. A lot sad. A lot sad. There's definitely, you can see it. You can see how, going back to that corporate America thought process that, that we just talked about, you can definitely see when when like the vibe changes in the room and people start realizing mm -hmm. like, oh God, this could be some sort of like HR thing. Majority of the people just kind of, you know, they, they do the, the old like eyes darting back and forth and then they try to slowly back into an exit or when you're eating dinner. Or they blatantly run. Yeah. I mean, the, I find that humorous because that's, that's when you know shit's going down. When people start pouring out of the kitchen, you're like, oh, I want to see what's going down right there. Right there. And going back to the phones, now if I'm seeing something that's kind of like off color and you're like, oh God, this is going to get so awkward, I'm just going to dive into my tiny screen and hope to forget the world. So I as I'm writing out my narrative, uh, saw and heard nothing was playing on my phone. Rear facing seat, that, didn't see shit. <laughs> we got that plausible deniability right there built into our hand. Which is, I mean, it's important to do. There, there's a lot of times that we get involved in business that are not ours in any way. And it's better to just, it's an art. It's an art to just kind of know when to walk away. But also it's important to know when to step in. And most people know me. I, um, I'm very anti-authority for being in a, in a paramilitary organization. So that's always ironic to me. But there's there's been times that I've said things to people in positions that you know I kind of just like let it out and I'm like oh god I'm gonna be in trouble for this one but I haven't really regretted it right there's I've seen people who call my female colleagues sweetheart or girl and you know it's like hey one time warning please don't do that and like the second time if she jumps you and murders you I'm gonna say I didn't see anything I'll, I'll... but uh all, all kidding aside it's it's important for us to stand up for each other as a shift and and to just sort of bring that that family feeling back right you're with your family you know they're your ride or die for the most part if, assuming you have a good functioning family and if, if if i pull a line the wrong way if i fuck up on a fire that's on me right yeah everybody's everybody's entitled to to give me a hard time but if it's crossing the line into harassment into discrimination into just hey that's a little too much it's important for the rest of us to step up and and put an end to that. Or at least we all go down as a shift, and that makes us an even tighter shift. <laughs> Been in that scenario. I think there are a couple steps that shifts can take. And I think that's, number one, knowing everybody's humor line. We have a very low humor line, or I guess I should say very high humor line at uh, my firehouse, but there have been times where I've said too far and it's, it's truly just those words too far and the guys will knock it off. And I'm, I'm normally the one saying it or frantically yelling guests, guests, guests when somebody's at the table that we don't, we don't know that they're for the day, but knowing, all right, what jokes are over the line for my crew? Like what subject matter maybe due to something in their personal life or a personal belief 
whatever. If you have someone at your station who is incredibly religious, like knock it off with the Catholic priest jokes. That might be something that that offends them because they grew up in a very religious family. You know, no. And people should also have the space to make a joke and then have the grace for that person to come to them and say, hey, I'm really religious. I'm sorry, that was a step too far. You know, do you mind not doing that in the future? There should be that adult conversation and cohesion there. And I think people are very afraid to have that. People, I think, are pendulum swing. Either someone once said to me, and I recently, and I almost lost my mind, uh, and I said something. I was like, ah, that joke's, joke's step too far. And because uh, I think they said it in front of someone. And they said, listen, this is a firehouse. They should know that we're inappropriate and have a sense of humor. And I was like, mm, time out. We are a firehouse, but at the same time, we are co-workers who have to rely on each other in that family sense. So find your people's line. Know what jokes just aren't going to fly at, at the kitchen table. Know that you have the safety to have a conversation with someone if they say something that offends you. Or if I notice after a joke that somebody's quiet and I'm like, no, are you okay? Did something land wrong with you? We should all be able to have those conversations. And I think everyone is very afraid to, once again, that stupid corporate EEO model that we've built. And that's, that's imperative to be able to have a funny freaking firehouse. You have to know when you can tell someone that something is too far. And for them to not have the dug-in stubbornness, well, fuck you, this is a firehouse, to say, you know what, I respect that. I'll make that joke when you're not around. But we've uh, we've kind of strangled that and kicked it to death, unfortunately. And that needs to be brought back, is the fact that we're adults, can have adult conversations, and then we can rebound and adjust going forward from what that is. I think those are the big first two steps the people really need to be taught when they come in is be an adult, have a conversation with someone if they offend you. Imagine that. It's so simple. All right. Yeah. I always chuckle at some of the old timers who will say things like, oh, you know, it's a firehouse. If they can't take it, get the fuck out. Or like, that's how we do things. Because in my mind, it's that, that senior firefighter, that old timer who should be the most in tune to everybody because they've been around, they've seen hundreds of people, they've gone through officers, right. they've gone through firefighters. But I think it, like you said, it boils down to that difficult conversation. And, and I talked about this in one of the, the patron-only podcast episodes, but when I came into my new assignment, I brought a lot of my old humor from my previous station, which was beyond borderline. Like it... It was bad. It was like for me, it was normal, but for people outside of that firehouse, it was it was too much. And um, bearing it all, like I remember, Captain pulled me aside, and I've known him for a long time, and you know we were firefighters together the whole nine yards, so we have that that good rapport. And he's like, "Hey, bro, there's um, there's like three transfer requests out of the shift, and they all cited you as the reason." And it just kind of floored me. I like I was at first I was like, oh my God. And for a split second, I had that thought of being like, 
Well, fuck them if they can't take the joke. And then I realized I've been in their shoes. I've been around those people who say things like, fuck them if they can't take the joke, let them leave. Mm-hmm. And realize that does absolutely nothing for the team, right? Because then if, say, hypothetically, all three of them leave, then we're going to get three more. And then those three more are going to have to deal with my bullshit again. And it's just going to be that 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 perpetuating cycle. And uh, it, dude, it was rough because I... With with my time in, I had to go to people with like two, three, four years on, and I call it the Great Apology Tour of twenty twenty two. I think it was, and one did by you make one. Cookies as well. I did not make cookies, no, but I I pulled them aside and I was like, "This is. I'm not saying this is right. I'm telling you this is why it happened, and when it does happen again, because we all live together and we push each other's buttons. Please let me know because I'm not here to make the shift a shitty shift." And I will dial it back and I will pay more attention to how you are and who you are so I know what I can get away with and what I can't. And though that took a lot of swallowing my pride and again, like it kind of floored me. I, f- I felt like shit. And, but to me, that, that was a good indicator. I'm like, okay, if I feel bad, that tells me I still have empathy, right? I still have, I can still relate to those folks. And I don't regret it one bit. Like I'm, I'm very glad I didn't take the path of like, fuck them. I'm glad I took the path of, tail between my legs, go apologize, because at the end of the day, they're still my teammates, right? At the end of the day, we're still going to fire us together. If I fall through a floor, the last thing I want that guy to be thinking is like, well, fucking TJ made fun of me a couple hours ago, so let him suffer there for a little bit longer. Well, and you you bring up a great point with the uh, the, the firehouse translates to the call. How, I mean, we've all run that call where we've been laughing our asses off at the kitchen table the tones drop and those calls are the magical calls because we are all just happy to be together, having fun. And that translates over to those calls and those calls end up being just hysterical and fun as well, because we all are in this cohesive moment together. Now take that away. And if I've said to you, TJ, I just, that that joke landed wrong. There's someone in my family that that subject matter affects and, and so it's something I hold near to my heart. You mind not doing that again? And you say, well, fuck you, if you can't take it, get out of the firehouse. Am I going to feel that if I tell you something on a call that you need to adjust because I'm standing a couple feet back and I can see the greater picture, I'm I'm going to now have that impression that you're going to say the same thing to me if I try to give you input on something that you're doing on a call. That's that's the mark we've just left on someone when we say that. Because what we say at the kitchen table directly translates to how calls are run. And there, there's no way around that. So having that respect for each other, that open communication for each other, I mean, if you, you can manage to have the most fun firehouse in the world, do it. But at a bare minimum, at least have a respectful and kind shift. Even if it's quiet shift, respectful and kind shift where people can that's not a common general thing that's just a freaking operational efficiency thing so once again we're all about that pendulum right people think that having that rough kitchen table with certain jokes and all that is what makes a quote-unquote good firehouse no it's operational readiness and that translates through how you treat each other deep i dig it yeah Deep thoughts on a Sunday morning with only half a cup of coffee on board. Imagine if you had a full cup. 
Okay. We'd be talking about the baby ducks again. Yeah. So now I'm not going to do that. Everyone's sick of hearing me talk about the ducks. <laughs> so since we're on this not... like motivational, you know, advice giving path. Jeez, don't put that on me. Well, too bad. You signed up for this. Hi, I'm TJ. I am brand spanking new in the fire department. I'm coming to you with all your experience. And I want to know if oh, there's boy. one thing or maybe a list of a couple things when it comes to advice that you can give me for a long, successful, happy career. Or if it makes it easier, rewind the clock back to when you started, because we all have those, those ideas of like, God, I wish I knew this 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, what would you pass along? I, I can tell you what mine would thing. be. If, what if, would yours if be? If you need, just shut up and do the work. For so me, that I was about. Go. I'm. I keep interrupting. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Finish that thought. Okay. okay. I'll. I'll make it quick because I'm. I'm interested in yours. For me, I. I tend to hyperanalyze everything owing to my my educational background, and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out the why and the what for and all these reasons behind it. When at the end of the day, if I just shut up, nose to the grindstone, I would have finished way sooner than if I hyperanalyzed everything. Would have made a lot more friends along the way, too. So mine is shut up and, and do the work. Step one, the very Copycat. first thing I would tell people. But completely different. For me, when I came in, I came in having already done medic school and all this. So I had been riding at least EMS rigs for the past two years. So I already came in thinking I had earned my spot. Um, wrong. And everybody kept telling me, play the game, play the game. And I did all the chores. I made all the coffee. I, I did that side of things. But I was a mouthy little motherfucker. And people kept telling me, and, and literally, they would pull me aside and say, Stephanie, you have to play the game. At no point did anybody explain to me what this game was. And that would be step one, is you have no experience in life. You are the lowest person on the totem pole. Even if you have 20 years and you're coming from another department, you don't know how this department does things. You don't know how this crew does things. Sit down and do the work. And the funny thing, and that's just, that's just good traditional probie advice, right? But the funny thing that I'm also seeing now is chores. Like the probie doing the chores has kind of gone away some places. And when you walk into a dirty locker room, and this is something new people need to know, is when I see that weirdly filthy locker room, my thought is, oh, how are you treating your gear? How are you treating your tools? The things that are under your command, what do they look like? So know as a new person that just like that firehouse table and how a call goes, what you're doing is translating over to how I'm viewing you. So even if you are a young Stephanie and you're coming in and you're doing all the things and you're being the mouthy, people are going to view you as, you know, when I tell this person anything on a call, they're going to be a freaking know-it-all just because they're at the, the kitchen table talking like they've been here for 20 years. I think explaining that game to new people is something that needs to be done in the academy because you're having more and more white collar kids joining this job more and more college educated kids 
people who don't understand that we are a blue collar paramilitary job. So step one is is knowing that off the bat, setting the right tone with your crew, that you are a trustworthy person who's going to do the job and you're going to be quiet and you're going to learn things. What was the rest of the question? Um, <laughs> step two is develop a mental health escalation program for yourself. And when I say that, I have ruined so many family holidays by going straight from the firehouse to my parents' house, Christmas, things like that. And I haven't mentally de-escalated myself yet. So I'm going straight from horrible scene to my parents' living room, listening to a family member talk about something that I think is absolute, I mean, how is this relevant to life? And I have said that so many times in different forms and just shut down the joy of the family because I'm still in life or death mode. My mind is still on the horrible things I saw the day before. And I'm I'm kind of cut off from those around me because my sense of reality is not their sense of reality. So find some way when you can't go home and drink a cup of coffee and stare at the sun for five minutes, find some way to turn back into a normal human being before you interact with others. And that should be an everyday coming off shift thing anyway. Find your way to come out of fight or flight mode. Find your way to come down from the stress, come down from hearing tones all the time. We've all walked through somewhere and heard a, a sound that sounded like a cad beep or the beginning of a tones and jumped right? We're still in that flight, fight or flight mode. Find a way to come out of that. So, you and I were, go ahead. You and I were talking yesterday about, and I said something so brilliant. I really hope you wrote it down because I have, I have ADHD and I didn't, but I'm, I'm joking about the brilliant part. It was something along the lines of, are you burnt out or are you completely just a flame? done with this job i'd put it a better way oh yeah it was um soul crushed versus burnt out that that was it just like is your is your soul crush or are you just burnt out and and like one you can recover from you can you can recover from from the burnout if your soul is completely crushed you're done then it's time to start looking elsewhere Hey friends, I want to take a quick moment to ask you to support the show by leaving a rating and a review on your favorite platform. Your support means the world to us, and it helps spread the message to even more people. We've gotten thousands and thousands of listeners, and those high ratings help our show become more discoverable, allowing us to reach even more listeners and make an even greater impact. So if you've enjoyed what you heard so far, please take a moment to leave a rating and a review. It only takes a few seconds, and it makes a huge difference. Thank you so much, and now let's get back to the show. I was thinking about that last night and I think something that's very important is I saw a video last night on Instagram and it was a tribute done to the Tacoma firefighter who just passed away from occupational cancer and it the background music was that song from Ladder 49 at the end Shine Your Light and it took me like velocity speed back to this moment being what year that so 19 years old sitting with my volunteer fire crew 
all watching that movie. We're all career now. We were all babies back then. I might have actually been the the oldest one. And just the feeling of pure magic at that age. Like, holy shit, we get to ride rigs and we get to run calls. And I thought, at what point did I lose that magic? And I think, and I really sat down and, and tore it apart. And I think often we have to shut down that little joy mechanism because we see horrible things all day long. We not we might not be seeing dead babies every day, but we're walking into houses where just the human squalor factor, the roach is crawling up the walls or barely any food in the kitchen. You can tell the family is struggling. We see these moments of human heartbreak all day long, time after time after time. And I think to survive that, we turn off the mechanism that also lets us see all the tiny little beautiful moments on calls all day long because they exist on a lot of calls. We're just kind of numb to them because whatever that switch is, we've turned it off in order not to completely flame out. And I think you have to figure out when you're new and when you're old, all right, how am I going to guard this switch? How am I going to appropriately turn it on and off? Because I think when you start missing all those beautiful moments, everything just becomes day in, day out. And this is an amazing fucking job. We are firemen. Don't lose that. Like, figure out how to protect it, how to protect both your mental health from that daily heartbreak, but also how to maintain that optimism and how to not become the salty, old, miserable fireman like me, right? Those of us who are grumpy, who've got two years left to retire, protect that magic. Figure out your mechanism for doing so. God, I feel like Oprah now. Yeah, do I get a car? <laughs> that's Not quite. That's solid. I, it, I think it's so hard to get that magic back. Just, you nailed it, because... When you start protecting yourself from those not so magical moments, you're also shutting yourself down to the magical ones. And it's it's that switch and isn't that same circuit, right? You you flip it and and you're just blocking off so many things. And we'll figure out how to bring that magic back because then 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 we'll make a huge change in the fire service. But it's it's true. And I think with, with I think with time and time and grade, time and service, and now you start having to worry about the younger folks and sort of how to maybe protect them, maybe guide them, maybe like poke and prod them a certain direction that you're seeing a different perspective and you're seeing like, oh God, this could go south so quickly. And that idea, that magic of sitting there with your old crew watching Ladder 49, I mean, I think we all have those memories of, of, of those first few years where everything was just incredible. Somehow the cue so sounded cool. so sweet and yeah. so badass. Didn't just matter. riding in the back of our rig with the lights on was, was fun. Foldable jump seats. Yeah. That was a different time. Foldable. Yeah. No seatbelts. Yeah. I remember we, um, we used to not wear them at, at the volley house. They, and... they weren't bright red. So the safety officer couldn't see them. Yeah. And then one time we, a couple of times we had the door open and we had that quick, like, Oh my God, I could have died. <laughs> Maybe I should wear the seatbelt. That's some Maryland level lack of sensibility right there, buddy. Uh, whatever. That's that's how we did back in the I, day. 
Not not saying it's the right thing. God, now I'm that that cranky old bastard. Like I turn around, like put your seatbelt on. That explains why you're raising ducks now. <laughs> I think it's going to be interesting to see this next generation. I think we're doing a good job. There's some people out there preaching this: of your brain is an organ, treat it as such. If you're thrown an arrhythmia, go to the cardiologist, please. If your brain is getting smacked across the back of the head daily by these traumatic things, go see a doctor, go see a therapist, go figure out how to treat your brain like just another organ and figure out how you're going to take care of it. And I'm wondering with this newer generation, if that is being normalized, that they'll be able to keep a little bit more of that because they'll be able to go home and have whatever their de-escalation routine is and talk to a therapist once a week, once every two weeks and just kind of unload the, the tension and the stress. Are they going to be able to keep that magic a little more curious? I think so. Because I, I mean, in my short time, I've seen that shift where you didn't talk about therapy. I mean, I started seeing my therapist almost 10 years ago and I took all steps. Like I used a burner email i like was very adamant i'm like can you make sure my department doesn't see this because to me it was almost admitting weakness and in the back of my mind i was like oh god they're gonna see that i'm talking to a shrink they're gonna take me off special ops like it's gonna be fucking awful i hate it and as the time went on and i realized how important it was i mean she was the f- first like coherent phone call i made when I got home after we lost Nate. And I don't remember because, like, I guess I left her a voicemail. She called me urgently back the following morning. But I'm glad that was my defense mechanism. That I was like, okay, I need to talk to an expert because there's a lot of stuff to untangle here that I have no idea how to do on my own. And even before that, I was very open. After a couple of years of going to therapy and realizing that it actually helped me out and that it wasn't such a stigma. I started talking to my close friends at first and then I just got more open and now I don't care. I'll shout it to to the fucking world. Like I like you said, we go see specialists for different things, right? You see a dermatologist if your skin is is fucked up. You go see a dentist to get them pearly whites looking nice. Like why not see somebody who knows the brain and the mind and can help you unravel people think oh they're gonna you know have me sit down and talk about my feelings i'll just help you you figure it out on your own i think mine out of one hour sessions just listens to me for 55 minutes and gives me a couple action points in the last five and they're powerful and i go off for the next week month year and i put those in play and then i come back and then we just review and and keep going so i think this generation is going to be good with that it's just like being a, a paramedic. Somebody, Ew. somebody calls for your help. You show up on scene. You observe all the signs and the symptoms, and you can hopefully, in in all the clear cut cases, spit out a diagnosis and a game plan of how to fix it. It's it's the same thing. I I don't know very. I, I don't know much about my brain other than hopefully it's working right now. Half the time it works. And so when you sit there and you regurgitate all those thoughts, you have somebody sitting back, seeing the whole picture who can see those little things that you can't see or that 
you don't know what they are and say, okay, no, here's, here's the plan of action to fix that. Or are just verbally vomiting for an hour. I have, um, I've actually never done therapy. I called a therapist once, um, and it was funny. I actually, that's a lie. I did therapy for my, my kids, um, when their dad and I went through a divorce and we're both firefighters and it was, it was not a contentious divorce, but I, I went through therapy for them to ask parenting tricks. And that was, that was amazing. But in terms of personal therapy, I called a, a therapist and I told her where I worked and she went off and she went off on my organization. None of what she said was invalid. It was all valid, but here I was crawling back in my shell and uh yeah no haven't haven't done therapy since so do as i say not as not as i do when it comes to that yikes that's that's kind of bad when the therapist goes off yeah that might say a thing or two about where you work but um no okay go see a brain doctor that's what they are so you just talked about kids you just talked about family how do you balance work life family life being a mom being a podcaster an author all these things very delicately it's realize that if you're going to be a parent in the fire department you are going to have massive regret i have always tried to stay at busier houses no no regrets on that but I'm at the point in my life where I'm looking at my kids and how fast they've grown. They're about to be 11 and eight and thinking, God, I missed so many moments with you guys, not because I was on shift, but because I was a walking zombie the next day coming off duty. And that stings a little bit. And you, if you're going to become a parent, you have to sit with yourself and realize that from the start. I, I don't know if it's worse for moms than it is for dads because already people are kind of giving you crap for being away for 24 hours as a, as a woman, but yeah, realize you're, you're going to miss out on a lot and you're going to regret it a lot. So you're going to have to set that mental balance of this is what I chose to do for a living. Um, if not me, then whom? And my kids are being watched by this person who puts this much love and kindness and care into them. And that's, that's a really hard, hard conversation to have to have with yourself is, is kind of defending the job versus parenthood. And it's going to be a consistent struggle. I'm, I'm sure until the day they turn 18 or beyond, hopefully I'm, I don't, I don't think I'll still be on the, a rig in 10 years. We'll see my body holds up, but that's that's something that's just always going to be an internal battle is parenting and that guilt of coming off duty and just missing out on things because you're exhausted and standing there all day with a cup of coffee watching versus being that active participant because you are healthy and you've slept and all those things. It's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. I bet. Like I have a hard time and I don't have kids. You have ducks. Imagine. I mean, I, yeah. They, they're chill. I mean, they take care of themselves for the most part. But people look kids at me funny. Kids can do that at a certain age. Right. I'm like, have you tried just putting out a bowl of water and feed for your kids? And people look at me like, what in the fuck, bro? No, but now that you've given me that idea, 
<laughs> Listen, when Child Protective Services comes after you, I'm going to deny yeah. this whole thing. So let's Luckily, switch... it's not being recorded. Right. Let's switch gears because you are also a podcaster and I want to talk about that. Mm, joy. So tell me about your podcast. So my podcast came about as a result of an episode that I've yet to make. I, uh, I had, and I have autoimmune issues, so I've had COVID four times. And the second time I had it before my vaccine, I had a lot of mental side effects, developed a stutter, couldn't remember what two plus two was. And I'm actually not exaggerating that lost a lot of long-term memory and the ability to make short-term memories. Um, in fact, my significant other turned to me one day and just out of frustration because I couldn't remember conversations that had just finished. But man said, you know, you used to be a whole lot smarter. Ouch. And when, yeah, ouch. Don't worry. I made him pay for it. However, that was kind of my cue of you have to do something. So I sat down and I looked up TBI protocols, stroke rehab, and I did that. And it took eight to 12 months, but finally, um, finally everything came back. Thank God. And I wanted to do a podcast episode about that. So a buddy of mine who has a podcast that I had been on a couple of times, Jim Bernecka, amazing cancer advocate and mental health advocate up in Ohio. He had contacted his editor and said, Hey, this chick has a loud mouth. You should let her do a show. And so I, I told him, I said, Hey, can I make this episode? And he said, yeah. And that episode is yet to happen. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, it will happen one day when I find a good TBI advocate or stroke advocate. So if anyone's listening that, that knows anything about that, hit me up. But I just kind of fell into it and I wanted it to be, uh, it's called five after midnight. I don't want to be promoting my show on your show. No, go for it. Because that, that feeling that you get five calls after midnight uh, and you're just sitting there with your crew at the kitchen table and it might just be one or two of you, but you've got coffee and you're drunk at that point. You are legally drunk. And so the conversations you have and the problems that you solve are just fantastic. And I wanted it to be that space because I feel like we do solve all the fire department's problems at the kitchen table, but it never gets outside of the kitchen. So I wanted it to be that. I wanted it to be all those conversations pushed forward to get people talking to say, no, it's not just us and our firehouse talking about this. This is an issue that other people are having. And just to start some conversations. I love it. I love it. I, it's It's been eye-opening. And I think you can say the same thing. Having a podcast and speaking to people outside of your immediate world and realizing that our issues are all pretty much the same. Oh, and, they're all the same. <laughs> and I think that's what makes the, the brotherhood, as, as we like to call it, so just strong. Because I can meet with a firefighter from Mobile, Alabama, and I guarantee you we have 90% of the same issues up here as they do down there. It, it's funny. When all the hiring issues started, we were like, oh, our county's got these hiring issues because of this and that. And then we stepped back and we looked around. And was, uh, no, the entire nation is having issues 
with hiring. And then uh, when telestaff went down, all these different things funny. within the past two years have been funny because it's like, no, it's really going on all across the nation. So I think the past couple of years have been eye-opening as to how ununique many fire department problems are. There are unique ones. The majority, they're everywhere. I have to go back to telestaff going down because as a computer nerd, that is one of my <laughs> favorite episodes ever. We skated by with no issue because I think we weren't using the cloud version. I think we actually had our own telestaff servers like co-located somewhere within the county. And that made the difference. It, it made the whole difference. But what few people know, and I try to educate most of our new guys, is that I'm pretty sure Al-Qaeda hacked us at some point in like 2015 or 2016 because we had to log into our internet to find staffing, you know, the old PDFs and everything before telestaff. And I remember my buddy at the time, Barry, he signs, he goes to Logan and he's like, what is this? And it was reminiscing of like an early 2000s MySpace page, nothing but like animated pictures and GIFs and everything going on, some like bad music in the background and nothing but Arabic writing. And you try to exit from your phone, from a computer and we're like, oh my God, we got hacked. And we started the rumor that it was Al-Qaeda hacking us. And I think, you know, it only lasted like a day or two, but it was a core memory for those of us. So That is funny. We are, you know, we're one of the few who have gotten hacked by Al-Qaeda or ISIS or whoever it was. I'm Maryland's good practice state. <laughs> so, yeah, it's <laughs> it's so it's so cool being able to talk to other people and, and realizing I mean, it could be disheartening. You're like, God, we all have the same issues. But at the same time, if you flip it, we're not alone in our issues. And we have the ability to bounce ideas and gripes and just regular conversation off each other because we all have pretty much the same baseline understanding of how the world operates. And I think it's <laughs> it's good and bad. Everybody has a phone in their hand now. Everybody's always scrolling through something. But at the same time, if we use it correctly, we are now connected to everybody. I can go on my Instagram and look at my followers or, or people I follow. I've never met those people in person, some of them, um, and they can say the same for me, but there's the ability to have this connection. So if we're gonna be useful and we're gonna be putting this information out, you can kind of create change that way by just putting simple ideas out there using those different social media platforms in that way i'm a dinosaur i'm i'm you're not going to be finding me on tiktok i'm sorry that's you know maybe it's my kids generation but the generations coming up behind me who are younger and have more flexible brains you know, if they're using that in a way that's putting these problems out there, but also putting potential solutions out there, it's going to be crazy to see the change in the fire department as people see that and click that and say, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm going to take that good idea and uh, implement it in my fire department. We didn't have that before. You know, we had the online, pub or they weren't even online. You had the, the paper publications and then email became a thing and email publications, and, and now just information is everywhere. Nobody should be feeling alone or isolated in the issues their departments are facing. If you want information on a specific problem, you should be able to Google it now or take to social media. 
and find something someone has written or done that speaks to that so you can pull that information and better your department. So true. 100%. This is also the perfect time for me to plug the Keep the Promise TikTok because, you know. Oh, hey. But, like, legitimately, it's, and I know the whole, like, Chinese spy efforts and all that stuff, TikTok. Yeah, they're all stealing our information. They've already hacked you guys, apparently, right. in your county, so you're <laughs> right. good. But it, it's important to meet our people where they are. And we talked about it before as, like, the senior folks who should know better, you know, the senior firefighters should know how to communicate to that probie because they've seen a thousand probies and they've been around for a long time. Similarly, our generation is not reading fire engineering. Our generation is not, and I guess, I guess technically I'm a millennial, so the Zoomers, like the ones after us, are, they're not reading fire engineering. They're not going to the conferences. They're not subscribing to different email lists, but they're hanging out on Instagram and on TikTok, not even Facebook anymore. So it's important to meet them there because that's that's where the magic's going to happen for this generation. Then they're going to the one after them's going to have something else, but it's also up to us to take the time to understand them. I'm not saying post a TikTok of you dancing in front of a fire engine because you're going to get ridiculed. But if you play your cards right, there is so much useful information out in these, you know, teeny bopper social media sites as everybody likes to talk about that somebody somewhere is going to take value from something you said or something you've experienced. And there you go. You just influence somebody beyond your kitchen table, beyond your department, which I think ultimately is something that we all want to do. We want to leave this fire service better than how we found it. That's been the most fascinating thing about realizing. So back up a little bit in 2018, twice and in 2019 injured my spine so i got two discs that there's no jelly left in the donut um just injured it three different times and a doctor finally sat me down and said listen if you have one more accident you're you're done you'll never be able to use the restroom on your own again like you won't be walking so i realized okay set an end goal if i get to go past 20 years fantastic but have have a mindset that you might have to leave the field at at 20 years and so that two-year marker is it within within sight and hopefully with great rehab i can go past it but it's been really freaking weird knowing that i might only have two years left of, of to run calls and that's insane having been running calls since i was 18 years old it's a very scary thought and so i think all filters, there weren't any filters on me anyway, but I think like the maybe one and a half that was there really have come off within the past three years. And it's been a, I hate this about the fire service. I hate this about the fire service. I hate this about the fire service. How am I going to change it? What am I going to do? And I think if each of us do that, our last couple years, when we have the mental space, the middle of your career, when you have the mental space, if we each take one thing we absolutely hate about the fire department and we do something to make it better, my God, can you imagine right. what the fire service would be? Because we're going to sit and talk about it at the kitchen table anyway. Yeah, might as well fix it. And that's that's the crazy thing about social media is with minimal effort, I can create, not, not me, however, someone else no, can true. create 
some sort of information and put it out there. And it's funny, you said fire engineering, because I do, <laughs> I do write for them. Um, and it's funny to see the difference between when I do and don't promote on social media. It is true. Not as many people are picking up paper anymore and reading it. And it's, it is all, I sound like I'm 80 right now, <laughs> but it really is all out on the social media. So you're right. Meet that incoming generation where they are. Get those ideas on board. Get those thoughts on board early. All right, so we just went over an hour. Let me hit you with a couple rapid-fire questions as we wrap things up. You ready? Oh boy. Drum roll. Just Russian roulette the, la the, the last couple questions. Holy God. That got, pick, pick it and go. That got dark real quick. Okay, what has been your favorite episode of the podcast so far and why? Oh, that's unfair. Um, I'm not going to lie. I do, have a, I do have a favorite. That would probably be one I did with Pittsburgh talking about medical marijuana uh, because I am a, a complete rebel. It was really cool to hear something so taboo talking about and published in a publication like Fire Engineering. I personally have never used medical marijuana. However, having been in massive amounts of pain and not having anything I can take, because A, opioids make me vomit. I learned that after wisdom teeth. And B, I just, I don't think my lifestyle is healthy enough to do, to try any addictive substance, right? I'm sleep deprived. I'm a parent. All these things. How often have you heard of a nurse or a cop taking opioids for back pain and getting addicted? Mm -hmm. And that just, uh, that scares me because I've seen it happen to people I know that I would never in a million years have thought but our lifestyle does not, I mean, look at how many functional alcoholics we have. Our lifestyle does not do well with addictive substances. And I have never run a, a marijuana overdose or any kind of car wreck that took a ton of lives that had to do with marijuana. It's just, I've run two marijuana calls in 20 years. And one was because the kid couldn't figure out why he was coughing so much. And I'm not going to lie, even the cop was laughing at that one. So to hear something so taboo that can be of so much use to us being put into circulation and into a publication that was really cool because that for me felt like the acknowledgement of things can't stay the way they've always been that was a needle that was visibly moved because we make that joke all the time the only thing firemen hate more than progress is the way things are we are that way. So it was neat to see change. It was neat to see new information put out there in such a widespread acceptable format. It wasn't just somebody on a blog writing about it. It was, you know, and uh, it was amazing that fire engineering stepped up and, and allowed us that space to do that. Not gonna lie, I was completely nervous. Yeah, <laughs> kudos to them. Got put out. Yeah, that's... And then I, I wrote two articles about it and I was still up until the day I saw them. <laughs> put out there I was like oh is this gonna it's gonna happen and it and it did uh, Bobby Halton was amazing about that um very very blessed that he allowed that to happen in that differing opinion so long-winded that's been my favorite one just seeing such taboo change be put out there love it love it 
Next question. Next question. Who has been the biggest influence in your career? Oh, oh dude, I'm pulling out all the stops. I'm going for like superlatives here. This is all thanks to Stack because I still remember when he ambushed me with a couple of questions at the end of our podcast. I'm like, bro, what? Yeah, no, he did that to me too. Yeah. Um, biggest influence on my career. Oh, there's so many. I'm actually going to say a group of guys. Early in my career, I was stuck in a very, very, very bad situation. Uh, captain told me, on day two, you and I are oil and water. We're never going to get along. We're never going to like each other. And he then proceeded. I mean, I got ridden up for the most hysterical stuff. I cleared uh, the dishes, and I wasn't a probie of the guy in front of me and the guy next to me. I got ridden up for not clearing all the dishes. Like, it was hysterical stuff. Like, a couple hairs fell out of my my bun and touched my collar and ridden up for that. So I went and chopped off all my hair. Like, it was a crazy, crazy situation. And the guys in that situation set the tone for the rest of my career. And that one by one, the senior guys all stepped up and said, this is unacceptable. And they all got different fake paperwork. I'm talking just straight lies and bullshit put on them. One, one got transferred out to uh, a, not transferred out, but like long-term detail to a busy house as punishment. Like I just watched these guys step up and get punished for it. They kept doing it. And that just, that was such an influence of no matter what happens in this career, people around you are going to step up and protect you because you are their family and they're going to do the right thing. And oh, by the way, you had better not back down when your time comes to step up for, for someone because these guys have done some insane things to keep you safe. So I would say that group of guys has probably been the biggest influence because that level of brotherhood has just stayed with me my whole career. Amazing. Shout yeah. out to them. And, and it goes back to that theme that we talked about of just, takes a couple people outside of that situation to step up and mm -hmm. and create that change do the right thing all right next question what is one book that you would love to share with people uh, see i don't like the oh what's your favorite book like i'm taking a page out of tim ferris's book like if you were to share one which one would it be no, but I say that because it's going to be the same one that I gave to Jack because I've been reading this book since I was a kid and it's just, it's just my favorite thing. God, you're um, a slow reader. I know. It's just such a good book. <laughs> Keep reading it. You know what? I'm going to change my answer. Okay. Make Your Bed in the Morning was a good one because we have such a disorganized, chaotic life that that, I think, hits the fire service in a different way than the author intended. Um, retired admiral and he's just talking about the the micro habits in life and and how they breed discipline for us i think it's different in that keeping a level of di discipline in our off-duty daily life i think is such a big thing because it gives us things we can control and those are necessary like we need we're like, we're like little kids. We need tiny little daily wins all day long in order to feel like we have control over something. And I think that's a good one for that. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Whew. Pulled that one out of nowhere. Well done. Yeah. It's the, that's the old stack question. <laughs> Should have known that one was coming. Oh, well. <laughs>
What do you do for fun outside the fire department? Uh, you know what? I parent. Um, it's it's very cool being a parent because you get to do all the things that you did as a kid that you loved. So I, uh, when planning different things with my kids, I'm like, what do I want to do? What do I want to re- re-experience that I want to then pass on to them? It, it used to be jujitsu. I'm, I'm holding off on that until... I get some more spinal healing going on. Smart. But yeah, I wish. But combination of, of when I'm healthy of, of those two things, just seeing the world as a kid again and then going and beating people up. It's a great combination. It's magical, really. Well, and my kids my kids do jiu-jitsu, so I just get to be the crazy mom on the side. I'm like, yes, <laughs> smash them. <laughs> Ma'am. <laughs> Living vicariously through them. Awesome. Well, I think it's a good time to wrap it up. Any parting thoughts? Be an adult. Do the right thing. Have conversations with the people around you. If uh, you aren't getting along with them, it's going to show on a call. Take care of your brain. Do jujitsu. Get baby ducks. Take care of yourself. It's a long career. Take care of yourself and those around you. What's up, everybody? Hope you enjoyed that episode with Stephanie. She is an awesome firefighter, hell of a source of inspiration, and all around a great friend. I know normally I have some like witty and goofy things to say at the end of the podcast, but I'll be honest with you, I just got back from vacation and jet lag is whooping my ass. So let's just get down to business. As you know, at the end of every show, We give a shout out to our patrons who have so kindly supported Keep the Promise and help build this community. So let's just get started. Special shout out goes out to Connor from Sterling, Colorado. Sam from Orlando, Florida. What's up, Central Florida? Matt from Farmington, New York. I bet you it's cold up there. Joel from Noonan, Georgia. And Ben from Mill Creek, Washington. Guys, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for continuing to listen to these awesome episodes and most importantly, for sharing with your friends and your shift mates. It makes a world of difference. It keeps us top of mind and it actually helps us carry on our mission and building better and more resilient firefighters. So with that being said, I'm going to go take a nap. You guys be good, be safe. Catch you on the next one. Hey everyone, it's TJ here from Keep the Promise. As you know, this podcast is all about helping firefighters become more resilient and well-rounded so that they can be a force for good within their fire department and their community. But today, I want to talk to you about something that's just as important, and that is supporting firefighters who are going through tough times. When one of our fellow firefighters is off work because they have to go to the Center for Excellence, they have to go to rehab, they have mental health issues, or they have other health issues... It really takes away their support system and it wreaks havoc on their finances and their family's finances. And many times these brothers and sisters are left to struggle alone away from their support system and the people who love them without the resources they need to recover. That's why I'm setting a bold new goal. And that is to reach 150 total patrons on Patreon so that we can start a fund to help firefighters and their families during these challenging times. And I need your help to make it happen. With your support on Patreon, we'll be able to provide financial assistance to firefighter families who are battling things like addiction, depression, and cancer. 
We're going to help alleviate the financial strain that can come with being away from the fire department so that our brothers and sisters can focus on healing and recovering. Now, reaching 150 total patrons is a big goal, but I believe that we can do it together. And when we do, we'll be able to make a real difference in the lives of those who serve and protect alongside us. So, if you're not already a patron, I invite you to join us today. Head over to joinkeepthepromise.com and sign up today. Again, that is joinkeepthepromise.com. And if you already are a patron, thank you so much for your support. You'll be receiving some exclusive rewards and perks as a way of saying thanks. Together, let's show our fellow firefighters that we've got their back just like they always have ours. Thank you for listening. Let's get started with the episode.